0: You have to find the sur or the tal of the emotion that that conversation requires of you and who you need to be in that conversation. That emotional self-regulation is very challenging, yet I think meaningful work and most of one's personal growth as being a founder and CEO comes from actually that uh, navigating that landscape. And my last urge for people who've been underwhelmed or disillusioned or disappointed by the online learning experience as parents um, or as students themselves in schools and colleges over the last 18 months. My appeal to them is always that I say that listen, we're in the black and white era of, you know, what the black and white era of television was. You know, and that's the stage we're at in online learning. It's going to improve. We will get to IMAX 40, and we'll get to IMAX 40 faster than black and white television got to IMAX 40 as a growing experience.
1: Hey listeners. new year, new set of guests. We have heard about SpaceX, 10X. And here was somebody who wanted India X. Joining me, a special guest who is on a vision or a mission to build high quality, global and modern online venture. What is it? What did it take to get there? What are some of the travels trails of this journey? He is what our special guest is going to share with us in this podcast. It's my honor and pleasure to welcome stage on the show. thank you for joining Inspire Someone today.
0: Thank you so much, Shrikant, for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. I love the title, Inspire Someone Today.
1: Thank you so much. It is creating ripples of inspiration by talking to people like you.
0: Hopefully, I can do my bit. (laughs) Inspire at least one one of your listeners, if not many more.
1: Sure. Founder CEO of Harappa, a tech company, that's what you would love to call yourself as, is in the business of restacking the education space. So what's it like being a founder and CEO? What is the learnings? What's the perks? And what are the sleepless nights?
0: I like that classification of learnings, perks, and sleepless nights. It's such an immersive journey that it's difficult to be profound and pithy about it in a few sentences. I also came into entrepreneurship having been a journalist who was covering entrepreneurship and being the editor of a magazine and, you know, writing 80 to 90 pages every month on entrepreneurship. So I thought I knew a lot of what it takes to build a business and, you know, what entrepreneurship is like. And, you know, my my husband's also an entrepreneur and has, runs two companies. So I felt like, you know, I was going in much more prepared than a lot of other people are. And yet I have to tell you, Shikhan, that... You know, I've written so much about the highs and lows of entrepreneurship, the shifting moods. In one day, you go through multiple emotions and they're so contrasting. And, you know, you you get it intellectually, but it is actually really like that. You know, you live a very, very high stimulus life. You know, you're constantly getting stimulus, both harsh, negative, positive on a daily basis. So it's you' you very cognitively emotionally charged and engaged, and obviously that being that charged and engaged also takes a lot out of you so it's a it's a multicolo technicolor super immersive uh, journey it's like you know going through a roller coaster ride with like you know technicolor screens around you that's how I'd like to describe it learnings I think my biggest learning is has been um. You know, you have to balance the opposite ends of a spectrum, of many spectrums to, I think, be an effective uh, founder and a CEO. So one, you have to zoom in, like it's called ZZO, zoom in and zoom out. You know, while you care about the tiniest detail, whether it comes to, you know, your performance management system or your first collateral for a product that is going out or the way that you conduct the an interview or whatever it is, you know, it's like in the moment you give that all it takes and, you know, your the pursuit of excellence or whatever that you have. Yet you also have to not worry about the details at all and think big and imagine three years out, five years out. So there's ZZO. So that's one on a time base that, you know, you have to manage both. The second is you have to manage um, both curiosity and execution. You can't just let your mind wander. You actually have to go and do the work. And I think that's a real people don't realize that you actually have to get your hands dirty and do the work. It's very of the soil and it's very hands-on as well as it's like, you know, in the clouds and your your mind going everywhere and all over and guided by curiosity. So I think there's several. What I found is it's incredible that on most parameters of success as a founder and entrepreneur, you're supposed to straddle both ends of the spectrum together, you know? So I think that's been my biggest learning. Second biggest learning has been emotional self-regulation. I was talking about how, you know, emotionally charged and cognitively charged this journey is. And you really have to, you know, stay in charge and teach yourself how to not get overly swayed you know, you can have moments of being touched and moments of frustration, but that, you know, you can't let either the joy or the pride, you know, lead you to hubris and arrogance. Neither can you take the setbacks and whatever and chip away at your confidence extreme. So I think your emotional self-regulation, it happens multiple times a day that you have to sort of center yourself emotionally because you could be having one very difficult conversation with a team member on performance. Mm-hmm. The next conversation, you know, you're on a show like this where you're supposed to inspire someone. Third conversation you'll go in in the evening today is a board meeting. So just the variety of you have to find the sur or the tal of the emotion that that conversation requires of you and who you need to be in that conversation, that emotional self-regulation. Is very challenging, yet I think meaningful work and most of one's personal growth as being a founder and CEO comes from actually that uh, navigating that landscape. So that those are my two big learnings.
1: Those are great articulations right out there. Is it extremes? Does entrepreneurship bring in those traits in you to balance those extremes or do you prepare yourself to manage those kind of extremes?
0: This is one of those things that, yes, you can. Like, I was, I was very intellectually prepared on the know-how of, you know, all of this journey. I've written articles on the psychological burden of entrepreneurship and, you know, a founders, I used to write a column for Mint called Surviving Startups. So however much you're prepared, when you actually go through the experience, you know, you have to learn your survival or survival kit or your thrive framework for yourself. What entrepreneurship does, and that's where the why of why you want to be a founder and CEO, you know, you talked about it's glamour and things like that. It's not glamorous on an everyday basis, you know, many hours of the day are just very challenging and very difficult. And I think it makes it worth it and is when you know why you're doing it. It feels tough, but it's meaningful and tough. And I think that entrepreneurship gives you and I think that the meaning just is so high and so deeply felt and you have so much conviction on you know why you're doing this for yourself and for your company it makes everything else possible so one just being in the arena you know being on the dance floor and second just having your why very clear i think both of those naturally just force you to develop how you manage extremes or whatever
1: nice and in many ways uh the space that you are in and what has happened to the world over the last two years is kind of a concatenation of sorts, right? So the online education has been forced, particularly for the masses in India, right? Where we have to kind of skill up, skill such a huge population. Online education is in a way a boon for a uh, lot of our countrymen. So how do you see this space for the next, say, three to five years time period? You know, I
0: think it's a civilizational change that we're going through uh, when it comes to learning and education. I think what COVID has done for many industries, uh, I think and these trends were afoot in any case, but I think it accelerated them beyond anyone's imagination. It's almost like put all of us on a time machine and say, here you go, you know, seven years later, what education will be. And if you think about it, it's unprecedented that every education administrator, every teacher or faculty, every principal, every parent, every student in the world of whatever age and whatever kind of formal higher education or formal school education has now experienced online learning in a condensed period of 18 to 20 months, right? Just that learning that we have and just people's experiences of it. the feedback loop of so many people having experienced a new way of learning, a new way of delivering learning, a new way of planning for learning is, I think, very, very powerful information um, uh, for educators like me and people who are building learning companies like to build out of, of right? So I think we've entered an intense and immensely exciting phase of innovation In learning and education, I think this format of a, you know, sage or a guru or a teacher saying that, and the rest of the students being captive on this in their seats uh, has gone on for too long. So I think the intense and intensity of innovations and the immense exciting of innovation, I think, is going to be very, very powerful for learners. I think it's actually a great time in the world to be a learner because just the varieties of formats and options that learners at whatever age will have to truly discover and find their strengths and build the skills that are most important for them at that time, I think is, is a very, very powerful. You will, you'll, will curate a learning path. So, for example, if I'm a 28-year-old somebody working in, a, in some company in Hyderabad or Bangalore or Delhi... I might have a technical skill of data science, for example, right and I might not have I might have studied metallurgical engineering in my engineering degree um, and then join something and then have now found myself interested in data science I could make, maybe take six months off and do a data science course but as I'm also so you know that's one format of learning and that could be online and I could learn data science from the exciting uh, entrepreneurs or faculty across the world but what if I also want to become better at my personal finance that, you know, I, I want to live a much more deliberately and financially prudent life. For that, I'm not going to take six months off my job. I will do a six-hour course on, online on what is. What if I want to improve my speaking skills? Because now from a data science person, I feel like I want to be a manager. And that's the trajectory of my profession. Again, you're not going to leave everything. So I think this continuous people coming in and going out. Exploring and curating a learning journey, which does not stop at twenty-two and twenty-three, because you know we don't stop learning at twenty-two and twenty-three, and the world demands many more skills from us and puts us in many more situations. I think this um, this concept of a lifelong learning, this ability and autonomy, and uh, to choose from a variety of formats and types of learning that learners have, is surely mind-boggling. That's going to happen. And my last urge for people who've been underwhelmed or disillusioned or disappointed by the online learning experience, as parents um, or as students themselves in schools and colleges over the last eighteen months, my appeal to them is always that I say, "That listen, we're in the black and white era of you know what the black and white era of television was, you know, and that's the stage we're at in online learning. It's going to improve. We will get to." IMAX 4D and we'll get to IMAX 4D faster than Black and White Television got to IMAX 4D as a viewing experience because just how many of us are experiencing it will get it's not perfect of course Um, please also have some empathy for your teachers and faculty who without being trained at all on online learning overnight have to manage you know in some way and thank god for the ability to do Something at least, right? But it will get much better and will get much better much faster than I think
1: many of us imagine. That's a wonderful analogy as well. So we are talking to Shresy Singh. We spoke about entrepreneurship. We spoke about online education. Why are we doing all of it? Is because she is one of the forefront founders of an happening online education space based out of India called as Harappa. So before we get into the genesis of Harappa and what instigated uh, Trace and team to get started with that, so I just wanted to bring to your attention a very interesting tweet I read a couple of days back from Paul Graham, Mm. which basically said, student debt is higher than ever. At the same time, educating oneself is easier than ever. On that note, let me bring you on to What's Harappa? The genesis of Harappa and how did this all happen?
0: Oh, I love that quote and it's so true. Original stories are very messy and difficult to, uh, uh, difficult to explain. But um, broadly, I think I would say three things happened for us to have started to work on Harappa. One was, of course, uh, the relationship and dynamic between me and my co-founder, Pramath. Um, Pramath is sort of a pioneering higher educationist um, in India and has been very instrumental in setting up two of India's best private uh, sector learning institutions, such as uh, the Indian School of Business and Ashoka University. Both of was founding dean of one and one of the founders and trustees of the other. He he was my boss when I was editor of Think. He was my publisher. We also used to run a media company then. And so I think our shared ambitions of, to build something. First, our shared value system and our um, and our commitment to do something together is one reason that, you know, why both of us started to think about it. I think the second reason is that this is such a massive problem. I think, you know, the Harappa actually focuses on cognitive, social, and behavioral skills as its curriculum. And, you know, these skills are just very massively under-addressed in formal education systems. These are skills of how to reason, how to think critically, how to negotiate, how to influence, how to look inwards, how to deal with setback, how to nurture, how to foster great, how to build resilience, right? Now, some of these topics have started to become a little bit more, you know, discussed in the last two or three years but even three three and a half years back when we started to think of harappa they were not they're still not in formal education systems of the way that they need to be so we felt like that scale of the problem that such critical skills which actually influence professional success personal growth as well as the productivity and efficiency of teams and companies is completely missing from formal education systems was the second reason Uh, for us to have started to do this the third reason sort of as a subset of the second is one of course you see a large problem and you feel like you know you have the solutions and that as founders we feel like we have a personal and authentic right to you know or are the right fit there's something called the founder product fit as well right i mean people keep talking about product market fit that we feel like you know we've lived very diverse and serendipitous careers. And really, it is these skills that I think for both me and Prama have been instrumental in our success. So I think that deep conviction and feel like we can do this better than others and, and it is an important thing to do. I think those three things combined is where we started to think of, you know, building her.
1: So great value prop out there. For a uh, listener here, so how does Harappa differentiate from the other MOOC platforms?
0: So one, we're not a MOOC. And I think because we're sort of in that sense, a second generation of uh, online learning companies, uh, I think we, you know, just to refer back to your tweet on Paul Graham again, we've realized that mere access to content is not enough for people to truly learn. I keep saying learning is is tough. It's cognitively challenging. It takes effort. We expect things to be easy. Well, the human mind doesn't work like that generally don't pick up skills and learn in the, in that manner so uh, harappa in one way differs from the massive online open courses is because we don't leave people at just access to content however high quality that content is which is challenging enough on its own to build we really take on custodianship and i think we have a lot of empathy for our learners to understand that in some ways we're all first generation online learners and and new systems and new categories do need people to be hand-held to them, that you have to, sort of, there's almost a meta skill about how to learn online that you have to teach your learners before they can use that skill to learn physics or chemistry or negotiation skills or leadership skills or whatever. And I think so we differ in that we really focus on that, fostering that motivation, breaking the inertia and really hand-holding people through learning and which is why our completion and engagement numbers are a mile and a half above most um, uh, other online learning players because we focus so much on more than access to content, which is, which is this engagement less. So I think that's one way in which we differ. I think second, um, given that, you know, we're an Indian company and we started a business in India. Most of the, uh, other online learning companies are global wikis or essentially West, I mean, American companies and the curriculum and the worldview and their perspective is also very American. Um, and I think we, we felt like online can anyway be an alienating and isolating medium. And especially for adults, adults learn because the context is, bit, you know, I think we forget in, about education. that education is not as much about content as it is about context. Bringing the cultural context and the lived wisdom of the faculty who also operate in India is another big way in which we differ. Those two things are, I think, pretty foundational to our differentiation. And third, I would say, is we're the only online learning company which has sort of the ambitions of scale as we do, which focuses only on cognitive, social, and behavioral skills. More, most of the others focus much more on the functional and technical skills of of the workplace and of modern careers, which, whether it's data science, AI, ML, coding, programming. So on and so forth. Most of the other K twelve edtech players in India only focus on maths and science, and exam success in maths and science. And the largest edtech players in India, actually, I say they all only focus on exam tech, which is cracking the JEE or cracking the NEET or cracking the UPSC. Right. In that sense, you know, we we differ completely from that from them in our objectives as well as our curriculum.
1: So that's how you redefine your pedagogy for this kind of a learning. Yes. Focus on the cognitive skills, focus on the human uh, emotional skills to make learning a lot more uh, successful than what it is.
0: You know, I keep saying that even if you you know go and cross that exam, but the time of 25, 26, you start feeling the need to, hey, how do I work with others? How do I understand that myself? Right. So I, I, I think um, our pedagogy is also changed and defined because we work with adults. And adults learn very differently from younger students, right? And I think that our pedagogy is also shaped by or from adults. So I think that also makes a big difference.
1: Excellent. I think related to this, uh, it would be amiss if you don't touch upon this element in the conversation, which is about career transition. And no better than you to talk about career transition because you started off as a journalist. Did your stint with journalism, then moved into uh, this particular area of uh, being, and you're an author, a journalist, an author, founder, CEO, right? Couldn't have asked for this. Just tell us, how did this roadmap happen and at every career trajectory? What were those decision points?
0: So one, uh, you know, in hindsight, when things work out, as they seem to be working out for me, you know, one feels very intelligent having made those decisions. But of course, all dots connect looking backwards. Uh, they don't connect looking forward, right? You have to, you know, first collect the dots so that you can connect them later. Um, I think three or four um, really true transition points. Um, and yes, my, I think my my professional journey really confuses my family, friends, and you know, even other professionals who are looking like, how is she doing this? And I keep saying like, I'm a non-techie, non-MBA, founder, CEO of an online learning business, right?
1: Of a tech company.
0: Of a tech company and an online learning business. Uh, so I I think I do confuse and puzzle a lot of people. and It's fun to see, you know, sort of that look of like, how is she doing this in lots of people's eyes? Because, it, you know, people have a sort of a set image of, you know, a linearity of how you collect experiences and which helps you set you up for your next stage i think a couple of key decisions one was to obviously i started even in my journalism career i started very early on in television and i think leaving television to uh, work in print was obviously one big decision but the one big career transition point was leaving journalism um, and that decision and i think that decision at that point which is, I think, 2014, 15 now, I guess 2015 is when I finally took it, is because I had discovered that actually I had many more skills than a journalism career would ever be able to use because it has a certain... So that was one, you know, important clarity that I got. The second important reality actually was that the media industry and the journalism industry itself was is has stagnated, has died. Um, You know, there are not that many role models who you want to be. And, you know, you still have another 30 years of a career ahead of you, right? So if you're truly ambitious, and that's something that, you know, in my book, you mentioned the book, The Wealth Walas that I'd written. One of the entrepreneurs, highly successful entrepreneurs had interviewed for the book, he told me something that has always stuck to me and is is advice that I offer other people um, is you have to pick 70% of your career growth is also about being in an industry which is growing because however you good you are in an industry, which is in you know, well, journalism has some of the smartest, most well-read people with a great knowledge and engagement with the world. But you know, the industry itself is not growing. So however good you are, you know, whether it's salary increment, whether it's reach or whatever, you will be limited by the realities of the industry. So always So I think that. Was something that had stuck with me as well and um, the third was sort of the experience of having written an entrepreneurship so much i think i was really inspired by obviously all the entrepreneurs that i would routinely meet and said that hey you know you're smart if you're doing this maybe i could do this too so i think that you know owning my trying to find a space which was uh had much more potential for growth realizing my own strengths um and where they were not and that they were not being used and third really also being inspired by what others had done were important reasons for me to have quit journalism I didn't know even then in fact I was one of those people who would say I would never be an entrepreneur because actually I love the I love the diversity of my career and as an employee one of the biggest advantages you have um, is your autonomy? You can move much easily, much more easily than a founder can, right? Like you're a, you know, and I, you know, I got married early, I had a child early, so I felt like I was already so highly committed on some very important aspects of my life. I like the fact that, you know, I could do a bunch of different things with my career. And so I was one of those people who would say never be an entrepreneur, but the career shifts, I mean, uh, you know, I've always been very excited with second, you have to be, you have to Follow your curiosity. Uh, I think that's a really important point that, you know, and sometimes I was listening to this podcast uh, and I can't remember some academic research or talking about it. Listen to your body say yes. You know, sometimes you just listen to your mind, but like what excites you? What um, I keep also saying that, yeah, maybe this is not great advice or it doesn't sound good, but it's really worked for me is. Really try and capture what you're envious of. And you know, when you see someone, do you value the fact that they have an autonomy in their career? Do you value the fact that they have status? Do you value the fact that they're well? What really makes you jealous? You know, those moments of jealousy as human beings that we all have. Really, what is the cause of it? Because I think your deepest aspirations are actually buried in that moment of um, jealousy. So I've really followed my curiosity. I've really tried to deconstruct my jealousy. And I think. Through that, sort of started to build that, A, I like doing new things, right? And I want to constantly add new skills to my career. Now for modern careers, it's almost like, you know, you stack up skills, right? You have a skill stack almost. So my skill stack, for example, is journalism, It's editorial proficiency, it's big author, it's being a woman professional because I've done so much research on that area. Now, of course, it's education it's also technology and product, and you know that my stack will not look like your stack, and that's what you you know you become unique because your stack is so unique. And I think I've started to think about my career and the transitions is to say with every transition, what is that one stack that I've added to my full stack model?
1: Excellent, great inputs. There's one is the stacking bit of it and deconstructing your jealousy.
0: Yeah, very useful. Uh, it sounds kind of. Uh, not a very pleasant activity, but
1: trust me, gives you lots of views. Yeah, in a positive way, deconstructing yes. your jealousy yes. in a positive way, yes. right? Yes. So, so we are not off on your career transition. I think one thing that you have mentioned a couple of times during the course of this conversation and also on your interviews is the impact you have had working at Inc., Inc. India. So tell us a bit about it. Any interesting stories, anecdotes that shaped the person that you are or that made you to certain decisions the way you took those decisions.
0: Yeah, I think Inc. was so instrumental in instilling ambition. I think its it's greatest uh, impact on my life is really that. And, you know, and again, you, I studied history in college. And in some ways, as a editor of, on the, of an entrepreneurship magazine, you're constantly studying the history of how companies get built. So I'm endlessly fascinated by the behind the scenes and how and the history and the journey of big things. So whether it's movies, right, I'd actually love watching interviews with scriptwriters and directors on what was their thought process. I I, I love the process of why some, you know, how, I, how creators think and why I love the thought process of, you know, I love like business biographies and things like that, because there's a historical element and this is how you know your your interests and curiosities. So I think Inc. gave me a chance to do all of that. The second most important thing that Inc certainly gave me is because if you're bringing out 80-90 pages of content on a topic like entrepreneurship. So in one issue, you know, you there are four interviews with an entrepreneur, there's a five-pager on branding. For startups or branding as a whatever, there is a three pager on how founders and time productivity. I feel like just all of that knowledge is so useful to me right now. And I think my introduction to, and I hopefully think Harappa is ahead on some things because, you know, whether it's culture, whether it's being articulating your vision, whether it's having a very deliberate strategy on your brand, I think those are things that. The functional knowledge of running a business, I feel like I got with Inc. It was almost like a PhD in entrepreneurship in some ways, as I call it. So, of course, that's very, very useful right now. And I think I have more gratitude for my Ink journey now as a founder and CEO because I'm using it, obviously, much more. I don't know if I had that same gratitude and understanding of the impact of uh, that journey two, three years back. But, you know, but now it's like really kids home every day. And that's sort of also my advice to people is hey immediately the impact of a stint that you had is not going to be clear to you the time you're having, you know, the time you're living it or even immediately after. But um it can, you know, surface and really influence something you're doing later as well.
1: That's the connecting the dot backward moment. Yes,
0: yes it is. It truly is
1: great. So we will take a detour. So we will get to see the other side of Shrey SC. So we are slipping into what is called as the power of three round. So I'll ask you a set of questions for which you have three responses for each of the questions. So if you are ready, we'll slip into the power of three round. All ready. Wonderful. So we are in the power of three round. The first question in the power of three round Shrey SC is three signature courses to look out for on Harappa.
0: Leading self, speaking effectively, and leading others.
1: Three personalities you would like to onboard as Harappa facilitators.
0: Chimamanda Nagozi Adichie. She's a Nigerian author, my favorite. Jacqueline Novogratz. She's the founder of the Acuban Fund. And third, Monica Holland. She's a personal finance
1: uh, expert in India. Great going. Three influencers from whom Shreyi got influenced
0: influences but I'm very influenced by um I mean the celebrities or whatever. Reese Witherspoon, uh, who's a actor in uh, in Hollywood and also a producer. Um I'm 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 quite influenced by her. I, I like her on the journey um and morphing from a whatever. So that for sure they, we have to be current uh, like right now or from history.
1: There can be some Harappa history also. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> um, Atticus Finch, uh, is my favorite fictional character from the book, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Atticus Finch was the protagonist's father and, and the lawyer. And, you know, I think he's my sort of all time inspiring figures for sure. And third, Arundhati Ghosh, um, she used to be an Indian foreign service officer and, uh, the way that she would speak and I think this in my formative years, uh, you know, in school is when I discovered a speech of hers. It always struck, her, her life always struck out at me. So I think those three people have one fictional and two real.
1: Three big hairy audacious goals that Tracy has set for herself for the next decade.
0: Oh, wow. Next decade. Okay. I don't think in decades. Um, I think in three years. I think in power of three is something I believe in. So I think in three years. But if I had to do a decade, of course, um, one would certainly be linked to Harappa, which is, of course, to make it into this, uh, uh, this force for learning the right skills and, and really helping many learners, millions of learners learn the right skills. And also as a corporate citizen, to be a brand that stands for something positive in the world. I think very important how, the, how each one of us shows up as a citizen as the company is a citizen as well. So it does what it has to do, which is, you know, it will do its product, whatever that product is. But I think there's a second responsibility to be, um, be a brand and be an entity that inspires others who get connected with it. Right? I think mean, that's a very, very clear, big, hairy, audacious goal. The second big, hairy, audacious goal is of course around my son, and just you know, he's he's just going to his teens, and I think the next seven, eight years is a very formative, foundational phase of his life. To so, so be a useful, enabling. Win beneath his wings is of course my second big hairy audacious goal i don't know if it's a hairy and audacious goal every parent thinks like this but it's an important commitment and something that i'm looking forward to and third would be um continue to dream more big hairy audacious goals without losing myself you know i think um that's really important i feel like there's a lot more that i want to do and many more spheres but while being me and not letting either the disappointments or the successes change me fundamentally as a person, while of course, you know, you refine. So I think, uh, I think that is life's work to be able to discover your spheres of impact that you want to have and also be true to yourself.
1: Superb. Three trends that you are looking out in the education space over the years.
0: So uh, cohort-based blended learning journeys, how to scale those. I think the real power of online learning can be truly manifested by um, by these cohort-based courses and blended learning journeys. I think genuinely global cohorts, you know, people's learning in global cohorts and a curriculum innovation where we actually focus on the right skills that matter. Uh, and uh, it's not stop, but just make much more s- sanity of this rank credentialing business, which is, again, your Paul Graham quote about student debt and useless degrees and yeah, and people going through 16 years of education and then being told they don't know anything and have no skills.
1: It's not adequate enough. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think that, I think is tragic. Those three trends about curriculum innovation to start with the bottom, truly globally connected cohorts and scaling cohort-based um blended learning
1: journeys are the three trends that I'm watching. Great, Tracy, that was the power of three round. Thank you so much for being a sport. The heart of this conversation is about entrepreneurship and you are one at it. So some queries around the entrepreneurial journey that you have had. What are the challenges of being an entrepreneur? You did talk about initially what you kind of go through day in day, or the paradoxes of uh, emotions that you kind of go through. For a lot of the listeners uh, listening here, if they were to kind of look at it aspiring to be an entrepreneur, what would be your piece of advice to them as uh, wanting to be an entrepreneur?
0: So I think hiring, I'm going to be trying to be tactical and sort of on an every day and not give you philosophical. So I think hiring and people, like just people, everything to do with people, getting the right people, convincing the right, finding the right people uh, for the right role, convincing them to join you, then being able to motivate them, motivate them, cherish them, but also being able to push them you know also being able to give them development feedback yet keeping them engaged i think people is one of the toughest challenges and there's a entire sort of you know spectrum of activities around people and each one of them is a is a very challenging skill uh, and a mindset uh, to constantly navigate through if you're not well that's one of course second is how are you going to capitalize this business? And which has so many, is it going to be bootstrapped? Is it going to be funded? You know, you you know that there are some realities of both and you can't want to have a funded company, but behave like a, you know, then have sort of be happy with bootstrap company revenue growth, right? So I think you call into it and what suits you, what's right for your business, what's right. So to really understanding sort of how, you know, the, financial model of both how the company is financed as well as you know um really how financial metrics move is a big challenge and one that one has to almost constantly uh, stay at and will have to um, take decisions on and third is um like I said both like you have to be a learning machine like you have to learn very well. so um both discipline and Learnability, uh, I think from a two, what other things would be are, are challenges to you. There's no time to slack,
1: no time to slack. So, I'm sure you're very familiar with this phrase that will always be used with you, which is see CEO and women founder. E, does that come with a bucket of uh, roses or is it a theme of thorns?
0: <laughs> wow, uh, you've been very traumatic. Uh, <laughs> I think if you do well, it is a bouquet of roses. People do a You know, one has to understand, I don't shy away like some a lot of people say, hey, why are you calling me a woman CEO and not just a CEO? And of course, through the conversation, you've called me. So I, I think that, you know, for, we're in that phase where you're trying to write the balance. And for that, then, you know, the people who are a woman CEO or whatever, will have to own that identity. To be able to make a difference so in that sense, you know, it, it doesn't make me feel like, oh, you're is dismissing my whatever. In fact, it, you know, I feel like we used to call out within Harappa, people say, uh, you know, I'm the 2%, the only 2% of women CEO. So, you know, there are lots of slides that I have. It starts with, and there's this sort of pose of me as a sort of a warrior pose. And you know we say, "I'm the two percent and we link to the data of saying only two percent of women's years. I think I've realized that one it's a bouquet of roses, but more than bouquet of roses are a great sense of responsibility which I don't take like I'm very mindful of you are watched more you're also watched there are also more people want you to succeed and that's maybe the bouquet of roses and the privileges because you can see the young women or the women in your teams or the women around you. I, I think your success means a lot to them. And when they um, see you being, you know, bold and dynamic or whatever it is that, you know, whatever qualities that any CEO would is expected to bring or ends up bringing because of the nature of the job, it means a lot to them. So I think more than either the stem of thorns or bouquet of responsibility, um, it's a crown of responsibilities for uh, Sure. I keep saying if given a chance, make the change. So I now can't run a company which will have skewed gender dynamic, right? Um, so, you know, we constantly watch gender data, whether it's on pay, whether it's on composition. Like one of the things I'm having sleepless nights about right now is so challenging to dip and difficult to find CXOs who are women in other fields as we are adding, right? And it just gives me... That, you know, we have 50-50, 50% men, 50% women in most parts of the business and the hierarchy. And it's only a director in VP Plus where that, you know, where that ratio is just, even for someone like me, who is so obsessed about this, has been so difficult to curate. But like I said, a crown of responsibilities, I, I'm not a victim, I don't think of it as a victim mindset at all. So, yes, of course, I think stereotypes, biases, the way sometimes people react to you, all of that is there. I don't also want to run away from the reality of it, right. But um, uh, I never think of it as a as a victim mindset, but I, you know i I do feel very responsible to earn the right to be a role model for um, women and men, hopefully, um, as a woman CEO. Uh, it's an important thing for me.
1: I think that's a sense of responsibility that you have for your people. And like you said, the community at large as well. I think one other thing that was very intriguing in my mind, I wanted to ask you this particular question was the business that you are in, providing online education to a lot of the masses out there. But it's also about great teamwork. You have to bring in technocrats. you got to bring in captains from the industry. You need to kind of bring in educators from uh, top-notch schools, academia, things like that. So how do you foster teamwork where these individuals are not necessarily part of your team, but still part of your team?
0: Absolutely. I, like, it's, you know, it's a civilization, right? <laughs> so, of course, they're a part of it. If not everybody has to work at Harappa full time to truly be part of the Harappa team. I agree with you. I think that's so well said that you said for a business like this, when you know that you have to bring lots of people together and lots of ideas together, you have to be a people like her. I think I almost now think that the world is into, you know, people keep saying the world is divided into people who do this, people who do this. I do feel like there is a, people are divided sometimes into people who like people and people who are okay with people or sort of whatever. I actually like people, right? Like I'm a, I, I get So I think that certainly helps and there's a genuine um, joy in being able to have an amazing conversation. Like I think we thrive and live on some of that at Harupa and I personally do as well. I feel this great power is not about some mindless joy. I think there's great power in having a meaningful conversation um, that can set off a trigger of activities and events. So I think that um uh, one is very excited by. Second, you have to be honest to in your motivations and articulate your motivations to people if you really want collaborators from across how do you build that trust? And I think that trust does get built when uh, you know you, you tell people why you want to do that. And second is transfer of enthusiasm and energy. Um and that that's this sort whole of vision thing, right? Like, you know, I talk about Harappa. You know, the power of this curriculum, the power of a 20 year old who otherwise would not have been introduced to some of our leadership curriculum because they would, they can't go to a CXO program till 20 years later. And how many people go through a amazing leadership CXO program? But that curriculum being broad based and brought to people at 20, 21, 24, you're just power. That's, so I think, if you're, you have to be able to transfer your conviction and your energy and your enthusiasm. And then people are, everybody is looking for fun things to do is my other discovery there. People are willing to engage with you. You'll find your tribe.
1: You'll find your tribe, transfer of conviction. And lastly, uh, around the entrepreneurial journey is this whole pressure of valuation, IPO, want to hit big, scaling, right? So how do you do the balancing act? Constantly scaling, constantly kind of playing to what the market is wanting you to do, at the same time keeping the brand quality at the forefront of everything.
0: Yeah. No, that's a really tough one, especially in you know, something like EdTech which is overvalued and you know, I'm an ambitious person. I do think that it takes so much hard work to do anything small, you might as well do something big. And I do own my ambition. So you are constantly, that's a human, whatever, you're constantly benchmarking yourself against others, right? And neither is that healthy to do constantly, but you can't also be an ostrich uh, with your head in the sand. I don't think that as an entrepreneur, you have that luxury also, and shouldn't have, I think you need to know what's happening around you. But to get completely swayed by it um, and not appreciate, each company has its own history, a moment in time, you know, almost no two companies have a similar trajectory. And I think understanding that, and this is sort of the history of entrepreneurship, this is your historical readings will tell you that, you know, there is something unique and you can't try and mirror anybody else's journey, but that's a constant conversation you have to have with yourself so that, you know, you are not swayed to start doing something just because you feel like, you know, three companies are working because of that you will also not be able to do it especially for us for my co-founder and i you know we are for him it's sort of his third or fourth entrepreneurial journey for me it's a second career that i started also in my late 30s i don't think we can we're also fully formed individuals by this stage right we're not like 25 year old founders but i can imagine that it's so easy to get swayed it's it is very difficult to and that's what's the, to find like to see who you, you know, what you, who you are, what your business needs and what you have to do while being aware of the noise, but not getting lost in it.
1: Well, those are some profound Harappan insights. Tracy, thank you so much for uh, sharing everything that you had to share with us. This show is all about creating ripples of inspiration. If there is an inspire someone today message for all the listeners out here, what is Tracy's and Harappa's inspire someone today message?
0: I'll use my favorite Latin phrase, which I, has inspired me always to stay on the journey of doing anything tough and meaningful because it takes time. It's a phrase called graditum ferocita. It means step by step ferociously. And I think that's my stay at it. Do everything and sort of be
1: ferocious in your emotions. Thank you for joining us today, Shreyesi.
0: My pleasure, Shrikha. What a lovely conversation. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening into to today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, do mail me at podcast at the rate gmail.com Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us. If you like what to listen, feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration. Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at late inspire someone today podcast for all the latest updates. This is Srikant, your host, signing off, and until next time, keep inspiring.